Hey everyone, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Justin Ongshin. And I'm Baron Zhang. Today we're sitting down with Jay Cortez, a, di- a data scientist who co-authored the books The Phantom Pattern Problem and The Nine Pitfalls of Data Science, the latter of which won the AAP Pros Award in the Popular Science and Popular Mathematics category. Jay also has a wealth of experience in software development and data analysis at companies like Prestige Software and Overseas.net. In addition, he was the strategic advisor for the winning entry in the International 2007 AAAI Computer Poker Competition. Now he is on a mission to spread the message that data science education should be centered around scientific reasoning. Last but not least, Jay graduated from our very own Pomona College, so it is very exciting to have you back at the Claremont Colleges. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so just to, just to kick off, um, you studied mathematics at Pomona. Um, while a student there, did you see your your kind of career tra- trajectory going this way towards data science? Were you like more interested in math? Probably should have, but I didn't. Like um, when I think back, the only math classes that really kind of hinted at this was I really enjoyed. Um, There's mathematical. There's one that was like mathematical modeling or something like that, where you do some regressions and stuff like that, and I was like, okay, this is pretty fun. Um, it's kind of funny. I picked math major just because, as like a data-driven guy, I was. I there was a list of the most, um, like the highest job satisfaction. Yeah. And at the top of the list was actuaries, and okay. so I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, what do you need to major in for that math? Okay, I'll just <laughs> major math. I just want to get you know a good job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, little did I know, you don't just like start out as an actuary. You gotta like take a bunch of actuarial exams, and eventually you become an actuary, right? Right. And so, yeah, it wasn't exactly what I had hoped, you know. Um, the job satisfaction was really people who had already made it, not mm-hmm. the people who were just trying it out. So, And was, was data science kind of a big thing back then? No, there really wasn't any uh, data science that I'm aware of. Um, you know, there was statistics, and there's economics, but um, I don't think the... The software side had really uh, come of age yet. I don't know. It was just um, in its infancy. It, I mean, now that I think of it, there were. I mean, there were neural nets like mm-hmm. in the '90s because I was uh, like a tournament backgammon player, and there was a program that came out called Jellyfish, and it was a. Um, I remember it was a neural net, and it was like super cool. It was like, whoa, this thing they they actually got this thing to be able to play on par with like the yeah. top players in the world, and um, they didn't kind of tell it how to play. They just kind of said, here's a bunch of features you might want to consider, you know, and then it just played itself a bunch of times. And then it started to figure out like, okay, like blocking points are good and this is good and that good. And then, uh, and then just became awesome. So that was kind of like the first thing I remember, um, hearing about. So maybe, you know, it was in its infancy or something. Gotcha. Gotcha. Absolutely. And given your experience in data science, I was also wondering, so yeah, you, to your point, data science is quite interdisciplinary. There might be statistics, computer science, a lot of uh, different areas involved. So yeah, as a data science major myself, sometimes I get confused about like, what exactly is data science? So from your perspective, what is data science or what should it be? How should we understand it? And what is the biggest misconception in data science? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough that's a tough question. I think I'm starting to kind of change the way I think about data science. I think of it now as kind of being able to solve problems with data and just being like super general, you know. Um, I think people get really caught up in all the technical stuff, and that's kind of what my talk is about, which is um, people have they got the tool skills, but they don't have the core skills. And so I feel like 
the scientific reasoning is something that a lot of students are missing out. They're just so focused on, you know, I got to get Python, I got to get, um, you know, all the coding, I got to get all the stats, it's all the technical stuff is there. Um, but I mean, you know, my books are just one after another after another of just, just ridiculous mistakes and things that people do and they're just not really thinking clearly, you know? Um, and I guess I'm not alone in that because there's, there's other people that are kind of pushing for a change in the way that we teach data science. So that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That makes sense. Seems like there needs to be a balance between the technology, the analysis side, but also like the human intuition or industry uh, knowledge as well. So that's a definitely an interesting point. And, and you kind of uh, like mentioned like the scientific method, um, like how, like how are people like not utilizing it in data science exactly? Or what aspect of it? Yeah. So there's a, a ton of like statistical pitfalls people are falling into just because they're not making sense out of things, they're kind of getting fixated on p-values and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my number one golden rule of, of science is just do whatever it takes to not fool yourself. And, and it just seemed like it was on a weekly basis that, that we were just seeing things that wouldn't make sense if you just took a second to think of it in a different way. I mean, we would spend at least twice this happened where we'd come in and be like, hey, revenue's down 10%, what's going on? And we would start looking at every possible angle. I don't know what's going on. We'd look at every dimension. And then at some point, you'd, somebody would look at it like minute by minute and they'd see that revenue stopped like at two in the morning, like on the dot. Yeah. And then it started again at three in the morning. And they're like, ah, daylight saving. You know? <laughs> and then we spent like an hour like looking into this and it's like, all right, you know, see you next year, we'll do this again. You know, and just uh, things like that, charts that don't make sense. Um, the one that really gets people the most is regression toward the mean. Mm, right. I mean, that is everywhere. It's crazy. Um, you know, we had this one where, uh, you know, basically I worked in an internet company, right? People collect domain names, some do better than others. And so uh, they have some names that are underperforming and they gave them to analytics. They say, hey guys, these aren't doing as well. Can you do something to them? And so I gave him to my friend in analytics, and he would tweak the keywords, and he would do optimizations. And every time, the next day, revenue would go up like 20%. So like, man, this is great. This guy's like, <laughs> this guy's a hero. You know, you should do this full time. But I'm thinking the scientist is like, you know, technically he should be doing a random half. Like he should take the domains that he's optimizing, divide them up randomly, and just work on half of them. And then he can compare it to the other group to see, like, what he's doing. It's like a control group. Yeah, a control group. And then they're like, what are you talking about? Like, revenue's up 20%. You don't know if it's working? Like, what are you, nuts? You it's know? revenue. <laughs> right? Exactly. Up is up. Yeah. Uh, but then one day, uh, he forgot. And oh. revenue went up 20%. And they came to his desk, and they're like, hey, great job. You know, he's like, I didn't get around to it yet. And like, well, whatever you did worked. You know, it's and it's like, oh, and it's what it is, it's regression toward the mean. So basically, because they were the bottom performing domains, they had like some bad luck. And so there's this kind of elusive statistical concept that things that are the, at the worst tend to get better and things that are like at their best tend to do worse. Right. And so all of a sudden we realized, oh, man, we really do need to control because we don't know if, he, if what he was doing was actually making money or not. And that is like everywhere. You just see that stuff all the time. And so like if you don't have a scientific mindset, you don't even think, oh, we need a control, you know? Right. Like another example would be like, hey, there's some domain names that don't make any money at all. Let's try this thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, try it on a random half, right? right? And they're like, why? You know, like it's not making any money. 
It's like, exactly, like you can't lose, right? <laughs> How are you gonna know if this thing is a good idea or not? Because domains that make no money, eventually, sometimes do make money. Right. You're not gonna know if it's because of the thing you did, you know, or yeah. not. You gotta do a random half, you know? And it's just like, uh, you know, um, my manager kind of broke people down into two types. There's either, if you know what you're doing, you're a kid. And if you don't know what you're doing, he calls you a clown. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I'm just saying, like, from my experience, the, the kid to clown ratio is just not where it needs to be. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm actually working with uh, a professor from University of Chicago named uh, Julia Koshinsky. And uh, she's working on a website, and I'm jumping on her coattails. And it's the goal of the website is to basically um, gather a bunch of educational materials that, that professors can, like, you know, incorporate into their own courses. Mm. It's going to, like kind of teach some of this critical thinking stuff, right. you know, just kind of really um, think of the technical stuff through the lens of yeah. getting to the truth and things. Yeah, because you mentioned, you know, regression to the mean, that reminded me, like, where did I first see that? It was in, I read, um, who's the author? Thinking Fast and Slow? Mm -hmm. Kahneman. Um, Kahneman, yeah, David Kahneman. Daniel, Daniel Kahneman. Yeah. Daniel Kahneman. And, um, and I was, it was really cool to learn about all these biases, cognitive biases, how they work, how they're pervasive. And I was curious, you know, like, is, I mean, I think cognitive biases are just generally pervasive and relevant, but, you know, how, how, how are they relevant to data science specifically? Are, are most um, data scientists aware of them? And how, how do you kind of navigate that process? Yeah, you have to be aware that they exist, you know, and reading Kahneman is great, you know. Um, that's the kind of stuff I just feel like people should be reading more, right? right? We should be having Kahneman in the classes, gotcha, you know, yeah. because you'll see it. I mean, you just see, um, I mean, just to put it like in a, like a game perspective, because I'm like a poker player too, like mm -hmm. loss aversion is a thing, right? Right. So somebody's down, they start gambling it up and they start playing worse to try to kind of make up, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And it's like, it's real easy in a, in a, in a poker context to know, you know, what's costing people money or making money because uh, you could just see where the money is ending up eventually, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and in the real world is like that too. I mean, there's just certain tendencies that people have and you can just see them, you know, they always want to confirm what they think. Like they don't want to actually falsify anything that they think. People need to learn to become their biggest critics, you know? Like be, being able to see things clearly for what they are and not like self-delusion. Yeah, and what happens is a lot of people look at the data and then they'll see something that's true and then they'll pretend like they came up with the idea before they saw the data. <laughs> and then it's like, hey, look at this thing. It's really like significant, you know, and it's like it, it's nothing. I mean, and, and it's like they're insulating themselves from criticism by picking something that they already know is true. And you can't like attack it. You know what I mean? Right. And people need to be more inclined to actually predict things in the future, actually put them to the test and see if they work out. Right. And they're kind of having that like, there's a book, The Scout Mindset. Have you, the Scout Mindset. It's basically based um, upon just like, you know, um, not not doing things and seeing things um, that, you know, just boost your ego and not engage in self-confirmation and really try and rationally see things for what they are. Um, just very interesting. It reminded me of it. Um, yeah, check that out. Yeah. Um, sorry, what, one question before you, you jump in here, Baron. But you mentioned, mentioned poker, remind me of game theory. Game theory is super inter interesting. I haven't taken a class on it yet. W like, what is like one uh, game theory concept that you that you I don't know that you love that you think is, is just really relevant and pervasive in just human life outside of games? Well, life could. Well, in poker, it's it's um, 
exploitive versus optimal strategies is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's kind of a debate, right? People work a lot on figuring out what the optimal strategies are, but it's not what's going to make you the most money. So it's kind of like, well, what should you do? You know, you can, and uh, it's a really, you know, I love poker because it's, um, it forces you to try to disaggregate luck from skill. It's like mm-hmm. the signal and the noise, right? Everybody thinks they're an expert. And when they get lucky, you know, it's like they take credit for when they win. They go, oh, I did the right thing. But then when they lose, it's bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> they just kind of like keep going and keep going. Right. And so it's a really good kind of um, testing ground to see if you're able to analyze your stuff with an honest look at things. Say so like, how much of this do I actually deserve? You know what I mean? Like, did I get lucky or did I play well? And being able to kind of look at it objectively. So I think games I in general, I think are really good, you know, whether it's chess or backgammon or poker, they're good testing grounds for clear thinking. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like very rare in life is it is it just black and white. You either win or you lose. And it's based on the quality of your decisions, you know? Right. And there's a lot of luck in the world. And, and you get used to, hey, you know, you do the right thing and sometimes it doesn't work out and sure. you, bad things happen. But it doesn't mean your decision was bad, you know? Right. You have to be able to kind of look at things that way. Otherwise, you drive yourself crazy in life. You always have a bunch yeah. of regrets, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, you know, I love uh, I love games as kind of a way of clearing the mind and kind of uh, learning about what kind of habits of thought are are successful. You know, it's almost a one to one analogy kind of analogy for life. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned poker. I'm highly fascinated in poker, even though I'm a terrible player. But I was listening to a podcast with I believe Daniel Negreanu. He's a really famous poker love. player. And um, yeah, in in it, he was talking with uh, Lex Friedman, who's like a, he has his own podcast as well, MIT professor, but in it, they were discussing like poker and like the mention as well, like the optimal versus exploitative method of uh, playing poker. And um, like, cause obviously in poker, as you'd know, there's like the game within the game of like bluffing or um, different strategies. So it's not just like playing the probabilities or statistics. So I was wondering as well, just uh, based on your background in um, developing uh, as a like, as a strategy, strategic advisor in the computer poker competition, I was wondering like how what you develop applies in like a real poker game. If assuming like the players bluff or implement these other strategies, how that all comes together? Yeah. So the the poker bot thing was, I think, more about um, software, right? Mm-hmm. So the programmer that I worked with, he was already really good, and he already had a bot that came in like second in like the limit competition the year before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like talked him into, you got to do no limit because the bots are just bad. And um, winning that competition, I feel like was just more about a lot of testing and being just common sense stuff. I think I think the other bots, because they're from like Carnegie Mellon, just like super advanced, like research thing, they just have these beasts with like all this complexity and they're just going to have bugs and stuff. Like you just, you just keep it simple, you know? Um, I think in that case, it really was kind of exploitive too, because you can see the bots had a tendency to kind of uh, want to win a lot of hands, but necessarily like you kind of say, look, you can you can make up for a lot of losses with like one big win, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and so you can kind of you can kind of play around with that and and discover it for yourself. And, and Negroni is so awesome; he's like a, such a great ambassador for the game. Um, I love guys like him because he's so open with sharing his strategies and, and his thought process. And he kind of like brings you in. Um, 
and he's an interesting mix because he's an old school guy and he's um so he has an intuitive side that a lot of the older type of players have where they kind of play more by feel and stuff like that but he's also really embraced the new school with all the you know all the software for optimal strategy and all that kind of stuff and, and he's a really interesting uh case study where he, i feel like he's kind of the best of both worlds where he kind of goes back and forth between them you know in his last tournament he was doing a bunch of like limping before the flop which people haven't really done for like years but because it's like the old way he was like more familiar he kind of got people out of their training you know what i mean and so he was playing exploitively because he was kind of like okay this might not be the best way in theory to play but i know that all these other guys are unfamiliar with this because nobody else is really doing this thing and uh and he won this huge tournament mm -hmm. like playing like that this is just fun to see what he comes it's in. really capturing the best of both both worlds the older world but also the newer more technology technolo technologically adept side as well and just combining that and just really case by case that's that's very interesting yeah, yeah. and i love his openness you know a lot of the older school players are like i don't know this is the optimal stuff i'm not going to get out the bots i know how to play you know mm -hmm. but he's really opened his mind and and he's like i want to get as good as possible and i'm going to learn from the young guys too mm -hmm. you know absolutely respect yeah. um just kind of pivoting a bit here um, I, know, I know you're still, you know, practicing as a, as a data scientist and, and whatnot, but how has, but not, not kind of now you're kind of also, you know, being like, uh, you're an author, a prominent, um, you know, accomplished author, and, you know, you, you're here at CMC giving an ath talk, so, you know, lecturing to a bunch of students who might actually not have, you know, technical data science knowledge. I was just wondering how you kind of go about that process of, you know, portraying accurately um, and, and thoroughly data science concepts to perhaps a non, um, to the layman or some non-technical audience and, and how you kind of go through that in your mind. Yeah, I feel like I, my talk is kind of geared towards the non-technical people because what I'm kind of saying is it's okay if you don't know all the technical stuff. There's actually kind of too much to know. If I mean, data science is huge. You know, mm -hmm. there's so much technical stuff. It's like, I had a class in neural nets and like, I don't understand this stuff. This is complicated, man. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Um, and so I think I'm hoping that, um, that people get the message that to be effective, you really need to be a clear thinker. You need to be a critical thinker. The technical stuff you can kind of develop over time. You know what I mean? Like don't over fixate. I don't want people to feel intimidated. Like, okay, like I'm not smart enough for this stuff. I can't do all this technical stuff. I can't be a data scientist. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like when I interviewed for my job, I didn't know Python. I didn't know R. I didn't know what a GitHub repo was. Yeah, I don't know any of that stuff. I was using Excel for my stats. I mean, I wasn't the most technical guy. I mean, my software development background was in like VB6. It was like this ancient language because you know software changes so fast that this stuff is just like it gets just outdated you know mm -hmm. what i mean and um and so i really i'm hoping that that people get the message don't worry about that because the technical stuff changes every few years anyway get the core skills you know what i mean like focus on on clear thinking uh scientific mindset all this kind of stuff because um, then you'll be effective no matter what you can figure out you can train on the technical stuff later you know when you really specialize and, and would it be fair to kind of say that, you know, this critical thinking that you're talking about could possibly be categorized or more, more further articulated as, you know, first principles, think, first principles thinking, um, kind of this scientific method and like being aware of cognitive biases and having that like all together? 
yeah, I mean, don't fool yourself is like the golden rule. Uh, another way to think of it is look for explanations, like try to make sense out of stuff. Don't just like take your variables and you don't care what they mean. You just kind of do some stats, mm -hmm. like actually make sense of the world, find causal mechanisms. Um, you want to uh, run experiments whenever you can. Mm -hmm. um, you you want to be able to be falsifiable. I talked about that where you, you know, actually make predictions, actually do things, come up with ideas that you can test, mm -hmm. test them and be willing to change your mind based on the results, right? That's something that a lot of people don't do. They get like stuck on their idea and they're just trying to back themselves up. They want to look good or whatever. Um, you know, scientists change their minds all the time, you know? Um, and I guess you don't always get that from your textbooks. You kind of, they kind of just show you discoveries that they just came out of the blue. There's a lot of scientific debates and questions and mm -hmm. things that led to the discoveries, you know? Right. And we have to teach that stuff. And, and not just because that's what, how data science actually works, um, but that's how you like bring students into the subject. You know, when you get into the debates and you can see people battling with their ideas and who's right and how do they figure out who's right, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that makes the subject interesting, you know? Some philosophical discussions, some, some back and forth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, to your point about like understanding the history of getting into data science, the current methods, I was also wondering what do you think would be the best way to learn data science given it's so interdisciplinary? Do you think it's best to just start with like the core fundamentals like math and getting a solid grasp of that and then building out the technical skills or uh, or is it more about like the attitude you mentioned of just being a critical thinker and focusing on the core? How would you, uh, what do you think is the optimal way like in the current day and age to learn question. data science? So uh, we're still trying to figure that out. So we're, we're trying to develop these teaching modules um, and I think the what it's gonna boil down to is primarily statistics, but in kind of a problem-based approach that, are, that involves critical thinking like through the whole thing. So as you're learning the technical stuff, you're learning it as it applies to particular problems. And you say like, okay, you need to know this thing to solve this problem. You need to know this thing to solve this problem. You know, um, you know at some point you have to learn SQL. There's certain minimum technical requirements, you know. Um, but I think that a course designed around solving interesting problems and things that you're interested in um, that'll it'll make it more fun and you'll you'll really see how to apply the technical stuff it's not just like learning a list of uh, techniques mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. and just in this conversation we've talked about like poker games even sports there's a lot of different applications economics business research so there's definitely seems like there's a lot of different areas that data science can be applied to that can make it interesting and applicable for, to like learn and solve problems. So definitely agree with your point on that front. Yeah. And if you have something that you're passionate about, I always tell people like bring evidence to your interview that you've done this in your free time and you can actually solve yeah. problems and stuff like that. Um, Cause I mean, when I got to my interview, one of the things I did is I had a, a poker strategy that worked online. It was like a profitable strategy mm -hmm. that, um, and it's funny because I was bad at poker back then, but I, I kind of <laughs> came up with this primitive, like simplistic thing uh, where I downloaded hand history and I tried out some stuff and then, hey, look, I can make money with this. And uh, the guy who interviewed me literally was like, this is perfect. <laughs> He's like, it's like, this is what we need in the analytics, you know, like find ways, creative ways to like make money. So, yeah, even yeah, though implementing it. Oh, yeah. No, I, you know, I used it and I shared it with friends and oh, stuff that's like that. Crazy. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Um, so it's kind of like just because it's something that, you you know, whether it's fantasy basketball or whatever you're working on, like, don't think that that doesn't matter. Like, actually, because when you actually solve a problem, you have to deal with a lot of 
things that are valuable to an employer. And so don't be surprised if they get really interested in whatever random thing you're playing around with, you know? Absolutely. And, and kind of like, I guess, kind of touched on this throughout the, the, the podcast, but I was just curious, do you think, and this doesn't have to be a, a fleshed out answer, this is kind of coming from left field here, but do you think the education system is kind of restrictive in the sense that it kind of stifles this type of critical thinking and creative thinking and, you know, following your passion in a sense? Yeah, I think um, it's a little too focused on the technical stuff. Like it just, it has all this stuff that they just want everybody to be able to say they know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, I think some of that's got to change. I don't exactly know um, specifically what it's going to change, but I think it's, um, but an interesting idea came up in uh, uh, Dr. Gary Smith from Pomona had just had a blog entry mm-hmm. uh, where he said that uh, AI is going to force people to become better educators because what happens is it's getting easier and easier for students to cheat. Yeah. And even like text-based questions, like the AI can like just generate like really like reasonable, like sounding answers that like actually kind of work. Talk the AI. And yeah. And the funny thing is, and the crazy thing is he's looking at that like, oh, that's actually a good thing because what that means is the teachers are going to have to choose questions that the AI can't answer. Right. So it's going to force them to ask questions that require critical thinking. You know what I mean? Because computers don't know anything. Right. They don't have any common sense. So all of a sudden, you know, this could have the unexpected consequence that education gets better mm, because yeah. because students are good at cheating at the, you know, why are we testing on stuff that a computer can spit out, you know, is another way to look at it. You know, and I think uh, too much of education probably is is geared towards just facts, you know. Yeah, you gotta, it's a process, you know, you got to get people to figure out how to, like, interrogate the world and get the answers, you know. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Absolutely. Critical thinking is the answer. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. Thank you again, Jay, for taking the time to speak with us. It was uh, very fun. And uh, listeners, remember to stay hungry. Thank you, Jay. Thanks. Thanks.